Mike Polsey. I'm the founder and CEO of M.A. Polsey Consulting, and I'm the host of the podcast show, The Pulse on Technology. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. I've got two distinguished guests on today. One is the head of our security practice, Brian Millar, here at M.A. Polsey. He's also our chief information security officer. And I've got Nick Polsey on. He's a solutions architect here at M.A. Polsey as well. So last episode, we talked about cyber liability insurance. And if you recall, there were about oh, five things we mentioned that are pretty consistently found with carriers in terms of what they're looking for in an organization. And they were things like multi-factor authentication, segregated backups, next generation antivirus, endpoint detection and response, security awareness training. Those are some of the things that we, we commonly see that insurance carriers are looking for. So what we thought we'd do in this episode is talk about multi-factor authentication. Uh, otherwise known as MFA or two-factor authentication. So with that, I'm going to kick this off. Gents, thanks for joining me today. Let's uh, talk about multi-factor authentication. All right. Hey, thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, I guess what I wanted to try and touch on what MFA is, is really what is it, you know, when people talk MFA. And it's really a combination of three things. It's, it's something you know which typically is traditional username password. Um, and MFA is coupled with something that you have. It could be a physical token. Um, some of you may be familiar with the old RSA token that generated a, a one-time passcode. It could be a text message. It could be an email um, that comes to your phone number or your email address. Uh, and that is the something that you have. And there, there's other things that we can talk about as well. And then the third component could be something that you are. In other words, a biometric, a fingerprint, facial recognition, you know, something that's not easily duplicated. So those are the three components that can be used for pieces of that multi-factor. And obviously, multi-factor is becoming a very, very hot topic. It's, as we mentioned last time, it's, it's a requirement for many cyber insurance carriers. And we, we definitely absolutely recommend it for our customers and we always have this conversation and in many instances it may be required for your business insurance like we say may require it compliance may require it um, and we'll talk about where is it needed and what's it used for in a little bit but i i also wanted to jump in a little bit of what does it do and how does it work you know really you may have all seen different things like a QR code where you get the little block that you take a picture of with your phone and you get a simple one-time password. That's, that's the most basic implementation. I mentioned RSA hardware tokens, but there's also, you know, many vendors today that have an enterprise level capability that integrates more with your authentication mechanisms like your active directory so there's there's lots of components obviously we're really interested in centrally managing and utilizing those enterprise level capabilities for a majority of our customers but mfa of any form is is absolutely essential so i'm not going to discount if you're for example there's and i don't want to get too technical here but for for websites there's something called saml 2.0 basically what saml 2.0 is it's a, an acronym for security assertion markup language. All that does is that capability, that protocol gives you ability to integrate that website with your 
MFA capability. So it allows you to extend your MFA, your centrally managed MFA to other cloud instances, cloud providers, or whatever you might have that's out there. So I, I'm always looking, you know, that's one of my, my major questions when I'm, you know, evaluating a, a cloud-based product is do you support the SAML 2.0 protocol so that we could integrate it with our dual and apply policies and enforce MFA on all our portals. So that's, that's you know, one of the things that I wanted to kind of point out a little bit of you know what does it really involve in some of those cases Brian I, one of the things I wanted to bring up is you know we we hear multi-factor authentication MFA right we also hear 2FA and I think a lot of times customers use those a little interchangeably you know if we're looking at where we are today uh, you know three four years ago that might have been a situation where hey you know I have something I know you know I have some sort of token with me there's two-factor authentication as we move forward, and this is kind of what you're getting at, right? We're we're moving forward to environments that you need more than just a password and a token. You need to have some sort of posture assessment on the endpoint, where you're coming from. And that's where some of those more advanced technologies come into play, which customers don't really think about. So I think that's also important to mention that, you know, MFA has gone through a migration already where they're kind of pushing more advanced capabilities to make sure that users are better authenticated. Yeah, and, and that's actually an excellent point for, you know, what are the bad guys able to do? And nothing is infallible. You know, MFA is great, but you know what? The bad guys are finding ways to get around that. And you're absolutely right adding on to that a risk-based posture of your endpoint device where you can have that enterprise level capability where you can set policies up for your organization that says you know what unless this device is a trusted corporate device and i can apply that policy through um, through my multi-factor i'm not going to let it connect even if you've passed all of the hurdles of mfa so there's definitely the whole defense in depth that we can apply with an enterprise level capability you can't do stuff like that with a Google Authenticator and a QR code. Right. Those, those are just not available to you. Um, so the next thing I want to jump into, Nick, are, you know, what are some of the the minimum expectations? You know, the, the two things, I, I don't know if we talked about on our last podcast, that is almost an absolute minimum for insurance. There are two things. Email access has to have MFA and remote access has to have MFA. So, so what does that mean? You know, in, in some cases, we... Um, as an MSP, we obviously have MFA on our remote access, but customers in some cases misinterpret that as, well, you have MFA and for your remote access. Yes, but you as the customer might not have MFA on your remote access. That really needs to be done. And we struggle with that. And, you know, what is, what is remote access? You know, a lot of times traditionally it's been a VPN into a perimeter network, you know, a network where you have a firewall, you have to get into internal servers. That's evolving over the years to portals. Everybody, you know, pretty much has possibly an HR portal and accounting portals. All of those our remote access, they all need to be managed through MFA. And a lot of them already have that because they're either required through HIPAA compliance requirements or PII requirements. So a lot of good vendors are already going to have that. Will it integrate with your corporate solution? And that depends um, on, on how they implement it. 
um, a lot of times they just say, well, we've got our own, you, you work with ours. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, I think what the minimum ones are, Nick, I don't know if you've, you've seen probably a lot of applications when it comes to cybersecurity insurance. Are there other things that might jump out here as well? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny, you guys, the last podcast was on cyber insurance and um, you know, that's been one of the biggest drivers that we've seen that come across my desk, right? We, we get this assessment from some sort of uh, insurance carrier that have a bunch of questions for them. Customers don't always know how to answer it. We help them, you know, kind of navigate those waters to a degree. But uh, MFA, you know, from carrier to carrier, it seems to vary based on on that specific carrier. Sometimes the definitions are very uh, specific. Sometimes they're very vague. You need MFA. Well, where? Where do I need it? To what degree? Who needs it? Right. We dealt with a, uh, a carrier, uh, a customer that uh, their carrier was asking very specifically, you need MFA on your on any administrative access to endpoints so that was a first for us it was a first but i think that's kind of a prelude to what's coming right i mean i think we're going to see that more and more common where administrative access even to endpoints is going to be required by carriers a lot of times they're looking you know obviously to cloud applications cloud workloads so whether it's um, you know aws or it's uh you know some sort of SaaS application they're, they want it to see it there. Um, and VPN, uh, VPN access is another big one. Uh, remote access typically is, covers the, the VPN space, but we see it a lot on, um, you know, customer access to, you know, like 0365, the Office 365 tenant as well, which if you really think about it, isn't that really kind of remote access, right? I mean, I know that we're not using, in, in many cases, a, a full on client VPN to access that, but that is remote access. Your data is stored in another cloud somewhere that you're accessing remotely. So, you know, that's that's where I've seen it uh, mm -hmm. most in, in that space. Oh, absolutely. And I, I guess I'll make a general statement. You can never have too much MFA. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, when in doubt, apply MFA. That you was know, one of the it, things I was I was going to ask too, Brian. I mean, as a CEO, we, we know we, we've heard a term of what is it called? MFA fatigue. So mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to kind of jump in here just for a second and say, or ask you guys, why do companies not want to have this? I mean, yep, now it's an insurance requirement. Sure. But why wouldn't you want to have it anyway? You know, what's stopping companies from, from doing this when it's such mm -hmm. an important and critical component of mm -hmm. security posture? You know, I, right. and so this, this term MFA fatigue, is something I've been hearing about and I get it. I know what it is. If you're a CEO or a CFO or mm -hmm. somebody that's busy during the day and this, this message keeps popping up and you keep hitting it to go away. I don't know if you guys can talk about that for a second. So, but... so before we jump into that, I guess, let me address the question of why is this requirement so important? You know, so why do we apply MFA? We said earlier that the biggest requirement is around email. Well, well, why is that? What happens during a business email compromise? Okay, think about this. What emails, if you were the CEO of a company, if your email were to get compromised, and I know you don't do this, Mike, I'm just talking in generalities. But for example, mm -hmm. if, if an email were to get compromised by your CEO, the first thing you have to ask is, what emails is he receiving? Is there any PII in those emails? Is there any PII and emails that he may have sent out? That's a breach of data. That's a fairly serious consideration for a business email compromise. That's the first thing. So you gotta, you gotta understand why they're asking for these things. It's not just because they wanna make our lives miserable. It's because they want us 
to protect against a breach. So that's the first thing in a business email compromise. The second thing is, and we see this a lot, is impersonation, social engineering impersonation attacks. So now once you've got the CEO's email access as the bad guy, you can start sending emails as him or her to the finance officer, to the accounting department, to anybody else in the organization pretending to be that CEO, and they're gonna believe it. It's very, very believable. So that's why they're really trying to enforce this for things like email. And then the other one is remote access into your environment. Obviously, there's a lot of hacks that have gone out. You know, everyone you hear about recently, I think, has all evolved around unprotected remote access. There's no MFA on account, whether it's a third party account or, or a support account or anything. If there's no MFA and those passwords are found out in the dark web and the bad guys start trying them and they get lucky, they're into your environment. That's why remote access is also critically important. Those are the two whys. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, you know, I just want to set the stage for that. Yeah. Um, it, it, and with regard to email, you would hope that any, anybody is smart enough or is, you know, has the right education to understand that you don't want to send anything or receive anything via email that is sensitive or PII, like you said, you know, so hopefully people are exercising, you know, an email encryption solution that they, they should have really, which is another thing we'll talk about at some point, but I'm with you. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, now I wanted to jump in. You talk about, you know, the, the types of attacks, you know, so here we are, we're trying to prevent, you know, these attacks from occurring, but we talk a little bit about MFA fatigue. You know, that was, that was also, you know, one that that's recently come across our desk is it happens. And how do you know a valid push that you requested versus an invalid push? That you may have requested so there's there's all sorts of things that the bad guys are doing today and i think nick mentioned it earlier one of the things that you do is add defense in depth add a risk-based approach to say well i have a device here that's attempting to connect but it doesn't meet my business requirements through a policy that we can set through an enterprise grade mfa solution so even if they were to get past this mfa fatigue attack or hack an sms text message or whatever, you've still got another layer of protection. So I think I think that's an important thing to consider. And one of the other things I really want to talk about too is, and, and Nick, I'll, I'll, you know, you, you're the one that's always discussing this with customers, but, you know, I want to talk about this misconception that MFA is just simply too hard. You know, is, is that is that something that you're getting a problem with when we're discussing this? Yeah, yeah, that's always a concern with customers, right? I mean, even years ago, when MFA was, at that time, was still two-factor authentication, and, and customers were always concerned what kind of burden that's going to put on the end users, right? How is that going to impact them from doing their daily jobs? And, and honestly, the response is, if it's done properly with the right tool set, it, it shouldn't really impact them at all, um, honestly. I mean, there's going to be an initial setup period. Um, they're going to have to be onboarded. But um, outside of that, we really have to look risk versus reward. What's the impact or what's the inconvenience of not doing it and getting a breach, right? Where <laughs> You got to weigh that, right? Um, so, yes, yeah, so this is something that customers bring up all the time, but certain mechanisms and advancements in technology that, Brian, you kind of mentioned earlier, right? That SAML integration, the single sign-on capability, there have been 
advancements to make it easier for customers to use multi-factor authentication. And I think if it's done properly, it does not have to be a huge lift for the, the organization at all. Uh, exactly. And I know, for example, one of the things I did not mention, something that you have, for example, if your enterprise has an internet IP address that everybody that comes into work sits behind, that can be a factor of something that you have. So we can make rules that says, well, you know what, if I, if I can apply a policy, and we've done this for customers, if I can apply a policy that says, you know what, if you're coming from the corporate office behind this IP address, I'm going to take that as one of the factors and allow you to connect. Because we've had customers that says, geez, you know what, I've got a lot of employees that simply are not going to be able to have a token on a phone, or I haven't given them a corporate phone, and they're, they're not going to be able to, to handle this. And it's like, well, that's fine. We can make it as transparent as possible and easy to use for those employees as possible. So there's definitely a lot of, again, we talk about the different mechanisms to implement this. And just the Google Authenticator having to type in a six-digit PIN is not the only way. And I just want to make sure that everybody understands that there are better ways. And like you say, Nick, there's better technologies out there. One of those things with the MFA push, I mean, that was, that was not something that existed years ago. But again, in an effort to make it easier, it's like, oh, just press this button on your phone and that'll be your MFA. Okay. You know, so they've kind of gone back and said, well, you know, we can still make things easier. And we've actually also you know, had cases where um, people have had to disable the push because of MFA fatigue. And they said, well, we just can't accept that risk. And they, they said, well, we're going to disable that push capability. You've got to punch in six-digit codes every time. I, I have to do this for one of our customers, you know. So it's a possibility that based on, you know, your, your level of risk and your tolerance for risk that you're just going to say, you know what, I don't have enough defense in depth to protect against an MFA fatigue attack, and I'm going to require my end users. But again, a majority of businesses just need it and want to protect their environment, and we can discuss ways of doing that. So there, there are definitely ways. Don't, I guess, you know, the biggest takeaway here is don't make assumptions based on past experiences with MFA. You know, there, there's definitely lots of things that can be done in today's day and age. So I wanted to make sure that we kind of covered that a little bit too. Um, so so that, that's it. always a hurdle. Having it is better than not having it. And I mean, obviously. Absolutely. And I think, Nick, and you, maybe you can elaborate on this, but I, I really do think it is affordable. It's, it's, it's not something that's, I think, a huge heavy lift. I don't know, maybe, Nick, if you could talk about that a little bit. It seems like there's some really good solutions out there that, that are effective and affordable. There are. There's, there's definitely, um, you know, there's a variety of different tools out there, right? Um, and it's really going to boil down to what you're trying to protect, what the end user experience you want to be. Um, some of them, you know, like Brian had mentioned, yeah, I mean, there's, there's free options out there, but you're punching in a six-digit code every time. It's not doing that advanced posture assessment, where you are, where you're coming from, what ISP you're sitting behind. It doesn't really care, right? So that's one end of the spectrum. Then if you look at the you know, what we're using internally. So we're, we're and, and for our customers, that's on the other end of the spectrum, you know, more advanced, better capabilities, better insight, um, you know, a little bit more involved to, to spinning it up, but it's not, it's not a big lift, right? I mean, this is stuff that w when we needed to, and, and COVID really started to ramp up, you know, as an MSP, we have access to tools that you have to go through other channels to get elsewhere, right? So we could actually spin these up relatively quickly. And, uh, and honestly, we were onboarding customers 
you know, it's from the time we get the PO, we're basically onboarding them right then and there. So it's it's not a big long. It doesn't have to be a long drawn out affair to deploy MFA. And and what I recommend to customers too is if it's gonna create a bit of a culture shock, or if you're worried about that, let's pick something, right? Let's pick your biggest exposure. Maybe it's like VPN access, or maybe it's it's cloud, right? Pick that one. Let's go after that. Let's secure that. Okay, once we get a comfort level, then we move on to the next thing. And we keep doing that until we have um, all pieces of the uh, of the organization locked down where we want it to be. Yeah, I think that's that's a good approach. You know, you just got to start out sometime with a, with a segment of the business, get it implemented and, and move, you know, move from department to department. You, you know, going back 20. So I, I just saw the statistic the other day and Brian, you were talking about this a little bit earlier, but why do we need this? You know, over 60% of businesses that experienced some sort of event, you know, some sort of data breach in 2021 was a direct result of stolen or compromised credentials. So it's not as, and I'm not a huge fan of, of fear, uncertainty and doubt, right? FUD. I, I don't believe in using that. We're presenting facts to customers. If you're not willing to invest in your organization and understand that, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of an effort on your part and your employees part to, you know, secure your organization, you, you run a risk, you run a real risk of falling victim to uh, whether it's a phishing attack or, or um, some sort of business email compromise, like Brian had mentioned earlier, you know, that that's, that's the reality. It's, it's not, uh, it's not FUD. It's, it's, it's a real risk. Yeah. I, I think, you know, hopefully the whole world by now is is hearing enough about these statistics or enough mm-hmm. of the news out there in the community to know that, you know, we're not conveying anything to them that, that they shouldn't already have heard of, you know. This mm-hmm. is real, and it happens. I mean, how often we, do we see this, guys? It happens all the time, right? Right. And most of these incidents, if you will, or, you know, where there is, you know, a compromise or a breach, it could have been prevented most of the time with some very basic controls like what we're talking about here mm-hmm. yeah and it and the other thing that kind of dovetails into that too not the topic of this one but the security awareness training right i mean how you're getting mfa fatigue people are getting bombarded with push notifications well obviously that's a situation where your end users need to be aware that hey this is not normal i'm not generating these requests i should talk to my it or tell somebody that something's happening and that's it that's an education for the end user that needs to happen so that they're raising those alarms sooner rather than later because if chances are if you're getting those push notifications you're not the one generating them something's really wrong yeah and it's it's even more than education it's it's just being aware all the time you know it's i hate to say but we almost have to be you know to carry a defense posture these days you know when you see things you got to be always questioning you know why did i get that why am i getting 10 of these you know uh, mm-hmm. rather than just making it going away go away by pushing the you know accept and somebody's now somebody's in mm-hmm. and I, you know the the like I said, MFA everywhere is is definitely your best defense. You know, don't wait for your vendors. Ask and push. You know, Microsoft just recently, October 1st, they have basically disabled basic authentication, which means simple username password is no longer allowed. And, and we just need to stay ahead of that. The world is forcing it, and we want to make sure that we're leading rather than following. And I think that's, you know, that's key. 
Yep, absolutely. Which is something else I wanted to touch on, Brian. Let me ask you this. This is a little forward thinking now, right? Where's Where are we going next, right? So we're at the multi-factor authentication stage, and obviously we know what we need to do uh, for us and our customers. But in the future, do we see a situation where we're really getting away from even one form of that authentication, which is passwords? I've, we've heard about this for years, right? And it's like, oh, the password's going to be, you know, eliminated at some point, and everything's going to be done through biometrics and other forms of authentication. And I feel like we're kind of, we're not there, and I think we've still got a long ways to go. But it's interesting because I just got a new iPhone a couple weeks ago, right? I didn't have to enter a password into that thing. It it knew, right? When I get it and I hold it up next to my my old iPhone, and it transmitted, it moved everything over for me. And it had the facial recognition already built into it. You know, it pulled it over from the other phone. And I know that we're still securing that on the back end with a password. But do we ever see a situation where we're getting away from passwords? Because we know that passwords create a lot of issues for customers to begin with, right? And that's what really MFA was is kind of trying to resolve, right? Uh, customers that are using too many passwords. So then there's password fatigue, which means that they're easily created and cracked. And they're trying to, that's ultimately what we're trying to protect. Do you ever see that? Um, transition taking place. I mean, obviously, Microsoft is pushing the passwordless uh, quite a bit. I, I, you know, and I think that's where things like single sign-on come into play. How can we support mm -hmm. single sign-on through a uh, capability like this? You know, there's typically there's there's always a password, except you're really just entering it once. You know, mm -hmm. you put it in once. Um, you use the system then to uh, use the single sign-on capabilities to still enforce the multi-factor. You know, whether you're doing it through something you have and something you are, like for instance, on my phone, you know, in some cases, I have to use my facial authentication to open the app that has my identity app for MFA on it. Mm -hmm. So there, there's ways of doing multi-factor without that password, you know, so you can, you can still have a good enforcement, reduce your risk. Um, and again, make those passwords more transparent to the end user. And um, there's, there's still a lot, I think, of work that needs to be done there. Um, somebody like a Microsoft who has more control of the O365, um, you know, may have uh, an easier go of it when you're accessing Microsoft things, but we also have to consider integration with many other things, you know, many other portals, many other websites, you know, that's kind of where the protocols like a SAML comes in. You know, there are standards that are built to help address this. And those are some of the things that need to be considered um, in, in anything that makes it simpler. Um, passwordless and getting to those capabilities. Yeah. So, so one of the things I like about how we approach things is, you know, with an architect like Nick, you know, obviously we can design any technical solution, but Nick, I like your approach. You, you typically take the time to, to understand the, the business that you're working with, you know, the, the culture and it's a good fit in the end. Usually it comes down to, you know, what, whatever that solution is, it, it fits the culture, the business objective, and, you know, something that an organization can handle. We, we don't have a one size fits all. I mean, we, we've got a couple of key products that we, we like to see out there. Right. 
but mm-hmm. you know we don't use a one size fits all strategy so guys with that anything else that you want to say about mfa you know i guess the, the maybe one of the last questions i would pose to both of you is hey i'm the ceo of some company and i've been hearing this a lot in fact i just ran into it the other day with an insurance application i'm, I'm just using an example here now what what do you typically you get the phone call uh from one of our clients that says hey you know we trying to get cyber liability insurance coverage and you know here's this questionnaire nick you've seen 100 of them if, if you've seen 10 you know mm-hmm. um, what's the next step i mean how do you how do you approach it from there with the client yeah i mean really it boils down again to what we need to protect right what are the points of entry where do we need to stand this up and what does that architecture look like because if we don't you know we don't go in and, and we miss something right uh, you know for example oh yeah I, I, i'm an 0365 customer and i'm azure customer i need to protect my cloud workloads or i need to you know i have cloud backups and i want to protect that because keep in mind right backups that are being stored in the cloud if you're not multi-factor authenticating you know protecting those backups think about that risk to the organization right your backups become cooked and then you get ransomware where are you then you know you're you're in a, a very uh bad situation real quick. So I think it's really understanding um, where they need that protection, right? How do we, are we talking just cloud? Are we talking on-prem? Are we talking administrative access? And a lot of times, like that example I used earlier, we have to look at, you know, what is the insurance provider that you're trying to get that, that insurance through? What are they requiring? And keep in mind what they're requiring this year may be different next year. They're gonna keep, setting the bar higher they're not going to stop where they are this year we saw this years ago when we started really kind of getting involved with um you know companies that were applying for cyber liability insurance and you know we were asked to help provide guidance on the forums um the one message i always gave is actually two messages one we can't guarantee anything right security is not guaranteed we can only do our due diligence to make sure that we're addressing what we should be addressing from best practices right and two, um, what you're seeing today on that cyber liability insurance form questionnaire, chances are the bar is going to be raised next year. And that's going to keep happening because these guys are getting tired, right, of paying out these these uh, these payments for, for compromises. So, um, you know, it's really a scoping discussion, figuring out where we want to protect, how we want to protect it. Um, and then uh, after that, it becomes, okay, now how do we actually handle this with our internal employees? There's always discussions around you know, some employees don't like to use their personal devices, which means we got to have some sort of tokens or there's other methodologies that we can look at. So that all comes into play as well. Um, and that's all, you know, done during the scoping portion of it. So, so Nick, short of a company having an IT director or somebody that is in charge of security, like an information security officer or a CISO, who would you typically end up working with in those scenarios if, if they, you know, if, let's say it's a, it's a, a small to mid-sized business, you know, they really don't have a, an IT director or an IT department. Maybe it's outsourced to an MSP like us. Who do you typically deal with in that scenario? You know, we, we, we seem to deal with um, all different uh, levels of the organization at times. If there's not any that anybody that's specifically tied to IT, a lot of times there's some sort of point person who is in charge of IT and, for some reason, a lot of times that does fall on, you know, somebody in the in the accounting side of the house, whether it's a CFO um, or controller or somebody in that space. Um, 
and you know we have to do a lot of education to understand the risk um, and and understand the value of having MFA deployed. Um, but usually, um, you know, if there's if there's somebody within the organization that is somewhat been involved in IT, if we're coming to them talking to them why they need MFA at this point, um, that's that's kind of shocking, um, honestly, because a lot of organizations they've been beaten with this, you know, at this point. Um, from one way or another, whether it's the insurance side or it's the people side or the IT side, if you think about it, everybody's been doing this, right? You mobile banking, everybody has, you know, multi-factor authentication. Um, you know, most of your websites at personal use, they're going to require some sort of uh, multi-form of authentication, even if it's just a text message, right? Saying verifying the the cell phone number of which you're logging in with, something like that. So. You know, it, it does vary from organization to organization, but a lot of times that does fall on somebody in the in the finance side of the house. Yeah, we seem to be uh, more often than not working with a CFO mm -hmm. or a controller, like you said. So, you know, just to remind everybody, obviously insurance, which is, you know, the, the segue into this episode today, um, you know, insurance requirements, MFA being one of those big requirements is one driver, but we think obviously you should have this no matter what. So don't let, don't wait for your insurance requirements to drive this. This is something that uh, it's a big glaring re requirement. Uh, I think, you know, to just to protect you. And so it's, it's one of the basics that we see. Um, aside from that, obviously we talked about other things that we'll, we'll probably get more into detail uh, in our, in our next episode, but you know, one of the things you touched on, Brian, earlier was security awareness training. I think th I think that goes hand in hand with just about any of these, you know, these security posture requirements. You know, the awareness training always seems to be looped in to, to this stuff, you know. Just like you said earlier, you know, you could be getting these, these MFA pushes, you know, this MFA fatigue. And the awareness training is going to bring you, you know, bring that front and center in your mind, hopefully you're going to start questioning things differently. So security awareness training isn't to just necessarily teach you about, you know, security posture and, and how to conduct yourself in an organization with, with good cyber practices. It's really meant to raise awareness and keep you aware of what's going on in the world. You know, look out for the, because the bad guys are getting better and better every day. I mean, let's face it, they're, they're coming up with, you know, it's interesting job. ways. <laughs> yeah, it's their job, yeah. you know? I mean, I get, I get, I don't know how many emails a week that, you know, something I ordered, you know, hey, your, your receipt's attached. Here's the best mm -hmm. one. Yeah, you know, I got, I, how they knew, you know, I, I made a purchase with uh, Best Buy, you know, laptop for my son to go to college. And man, all of a sudden now I'm getting all these, hey, your, your service has started. Here's your receipt. Well, I already did this transaction why am i getting this and then you look at the email address and it's a gmail address wait a minute why is best buy sending me an email that looks so good on the surface but it's coming from a gmail account you know these are things you have to stop and you're dead in your tracks and just question so with that guys unless you have anything else to, to really add i think this is a great you know intro discussion to mfa why you need it what it takes what is it? How does it work? You know, minimum expectations. I think it's a good discussion around the, the, the basics of this. And certainly we could get deeper in the weeds if we really wanted to. But, you know, to keep this in an executive level as much as possible, 
um, this is this is how we wanted to do this today. Everybody needs it. Yep. Absolutely. Get it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, with that will wrap it up. And I uh, appreciate you guys being on this, this segment, this episode. So we will have more to come. Thanks, Mike. Sounds good. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, yep. Nick. Thanks, Brian.